listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, the final episode in Volume 4, Truth, Soul, Rock and Roll, I get to speak to Bleach frontman Davey Basinger. I was very excited to get to talk to Davey as Bleach headlined the first ever concert I went to. They played with the Elms. But when Bleach came out and I saw Davey jump in the crowd, crowd surf, really interact with the audience, I knew that music was a transformative experience that could connect an audience and a group of people in a way unlike anything else I'd ever seen before in my 15 years of life up to that point. But Davey details his life coming up, the early days of Bleach, how they moved from those first couple of albums into a different direction with their next several records. And he just details the ups and downs and the changes throughout the group. And then we get into what his life has been like post-Bleach, his work at Food for the Hungry, the great work that they are doing for the world. It's a fascinating examination of an individual who used to lead, sing for one of in my opinion, the more popular Christian rock bands of our time. And we get into the truth of his story, what music means to him, and how that has driven him to his different decisions in life. The soul of it all, what religion and spirituality meant to him while he was in a Christian band, and then when he has been out of the band. And then, of course, we talk about the rock and roll of it all. We talk about the fact that the Christian music industry is focusing on worship songs, but how for a time it really did focus on these rock and roll songs like you heard with groups like Bleach and Earthsuit that we covered in this volume, and Elms, and of course Hawk Nelson. I think you're really going to enjoy it and dig it, and so my conversation with Davey is right up after this. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Davey Basinger, and I am super excited to be closing out this volume with the lead singer of Bleach, the man that taught me to love live music because he was crowd surfing at the door in Dallas way back in 2002. Davey, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm glad to be the encore on this uh, segment, uh, this volume, so to speak. Now, I'm really excited. You know, I was ch- we were chatting with Owen Thomas and the Elms, and the Elms opened up for you during that tour, and along with a little-known band called Sanctus Real. I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with them at all. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, and so it was something where, you know, I had been to different concerts at my church and just kind of around town, and that's cool, but that was the first time I'd been to a venue. My buddies brought me and were like, you got to see this group. It's Bleach. And I'd only known Super Good Feeling. So I was a little unsure, but I did know the Elm. So I came. And then when I saw y'all take the stage and just command the stage with this aura and energy and presence, and and it was 
it was like you were having fun, endless amounts of fun while on stage, and you were inviting the audience in. That's what made me go, I think there's a little bit more here than just what I'm seeing on the surface. I feel like there's something that's connecting us all right here in this space, and and I love it. And so I'd really love to kind of segue into kind of the first talking point of this podcast, and that's, Davey, what does music mean to you? Oh, man, it means a lot. It's like... Uh... First off, I, I want to say that's awesome. I feel I feel like that's what we always wanted to do was uh, was be inclusive, and I think in every aspect of my life, I think that's just my nature is to want to be inclusive and to try to bring people into something, or to be a part of something uh, that's bigger than just an individual. And so I feel like with Bleach, that's what we always try to do. Which music to me is a way to explain life. Um, it is, it's my therapy um whether it's whether it's songs i've written um for myself or it's songs that i listen to to kind of help me get through i feel like music is one of the very rare things that, that we have in life art forms that i feel like connects with uh not just not just your head and your heart but also your spirit like i feel like it it connects in a way that uh other art forms can't, you know, um, you know, I mean, I just, I think about, I'm thinking about the other art forms right now. This is the first time I've really talked about this in a while or even thought about it, but like, you know, you know, paintings are visual, you know, and, and they can touch, definitely touch parts of your soul and that in ways that no, no other art form can, you know, film is visual and there's just something I mean, even in film, they use music because somehow it touches your soul. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, I think it speaks to us. I mean, you could have somebody talking in it and them saying something really powerful and it affect you. But if you put a bed of music underneath it, all of a sudden you're on the floor crying. You know what I mean? And so it does touch something like kind of supernatural, something, uh, something uh, deeper than most forms. Uh, I mean, yeah. I've always said like, I could say, I mean, the the thing is, I think sometimes music, sometimes I was talking to somebody the other day and I was, we were talking about like poems and uh, actually it was my father-in-law. We were talking about uh, how like, how, how poems uh, are, have to be put together really well because the words really matter. With music, I feel like sometimes songwriters just cash it in. You know what I mean? They're just like, I can yeah. say whatever and it's going to mean something to somebody because, because uh, it's got the better music behind it. So I don't think people think that way, but it's funny when you listen to lyrics, sometimes of like some of the most popular songs, you're like, if somebody said that to me, <laughs> like I would think they were a creep, you know, like right. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying, I mean, I always, it always feels like, what is it? Uh, what's that song? I always feel like somebody's watching me, you know, oh, um, yeah. or somebody's like watching me nobody's ever going to love you the way that I do. Oh, right. I mean, if, if you say that out loud, you're like, dang, you are messed up, bro. But if you put it to a beautiful, some beautiful music, it's like, it's like, yeah, I feel that, man. You know, it's, it's incredible the power that music has over us. And I know it's something that I've covered in this volume for sure. And definitely in other volumes as well, but it's, it, it, 
is so incredible to me. There was a uh, a Netflix documentary. I believe it's the Explained series. It might be a different one, but it was. Um, I, I think it's Explained, and it was Music Explained. And they went through how the various ways in which music impacts us, both on an emotional level and on a scientific level, where you can actually measure someone's health and heart rate and everything else tied to music. And showing examples of people having, you know, a lot of amnesia or not amnesia, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, but then hearing a piece of music that they used to play on the piano. And then all of a sudden this skill comes right back to them. And then they start talking and finding memories and they're connecting and then the music ends and, and they go back. And that's, that is something that is, you know, supernatural is spiritual is something that is, it's hard to be explained. It cannot be explained in most situations because you can see it, you can graph it. But to explain why, you know, uh, you know, this is equaling that is difficult to do. And I think it's also, you know, there are situations and times where music will will ask a lot from us, where we will will in, engage with music, either by listening to it or writing it or playing it or performing it. And then when it's done, it's it's exhaust. You're exhausted. You've all of your uh feelings and your energy is just depleted because you've given so much to the music that you need to kind of, you know, almost take a break. That's what I find when I'm actively engaging with, I feel my creativity is stimulated and then I need to almost like shut the door on it because it's been a lot and I need to take a break, but I appreciate it. And so I think it's a, it's an interesting dance that we have with this, this art form that to your point, I think you have different types of interactions with other art forms, but you do find that most of those other art forms are very powerful when they're paired with music. You go to an art gallery, you've got live music playing in the background. You will see a movie, music, a play or a musical. You've got music either in between the scene changes or part of the piece. So it's, it's interconnected with all of these other art forms. It's the, the, the glue that ties it together, so to speak. Yeah, no, I totally, I think it's, it's crazy. Not only, not only that's, but even to think about how it, a song can bring a memory. It can bring a feeling back that you hadn't had for, you know, 15 years or whatever. It can bring something, you know, it can bring a thought back to your mind. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's pretty unreal. And you know, it's crazy. Like, um, I, you know, I don't know, I'm guessing some of your, some of your listeners may, uh, may have some, uh, religious beliefs or maybe not religious, but spiritual, sure. uh, a spiritual life or something but like in the bible it talks about it doesn't say much that that's going to be in the afterlife uh it doesn't talk about many things but music is one of those things that it that that it says will i mean it just kind of talks about it being there you know the angels sure. and the seraphim and the and so i feel like i feel like it's other it's it's definitely something otherworldly in most most of the best artists like if you listen to some of the greatest artists the ones that really I'm not talking just like pop. I mean, pop music's great too, you know, but like, I'm talking about like some of the artists that, I mean, like Bob Dylan, you know, or, you know, or even like Brian Wilson, you know, when they talk about music, they, most of them say they don't know where it came from. Yeah. They're like, well, how did you come up with that lyric? Bob Dylan's like, I don't know. Yeah. And they're like, can you do it again? Are you going to ever do it again? He's like, I did it once. I don't think I can do it again. You know, and it just blows yeah. my mind, you know, to think like, I do think there is some sense of the song was already there and it's just 
we have found a way to pluck it out and yeah. place it in time. You know what I, I mean? mean? I mean, that's a good so, point. And then, and even you, you bring up Bob Dylan. I was listening to uh, some Bob Dylan the other day and, you know, he's got his song, the times are a change and hit me hard the other day when I heard it yeah. because, you know, I've always appreciated that song and, and really enjoyed that song and appreciate the time in which it was written. And I'm seeing so many eerie parallels with, with what he is writing versus what is happening in now. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, on point, isn't it? It is. And you would, you would almost think it was written for now as opposed to when he wrote it back during the Vietnam war and the protests and everything going on. You know, I mean, it's it's crazy, and yeah, feeds right into that point about like these these songs already existing and and being there, and we're just discovering them, and then someone's going to discover it later for another reason, and on and on and on. Yeah, which to me is the best sign of good art. Mm-hmm. I think a good artist, I think the best artist realize, or maybe they don't realize it, maybe they're just doing it, but I think the best art is not. Um, it's not like we're coming up with any new ideas, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Like it's right. all the same ideas that we feel, you know, the maybe 15 different emotions that we all humans feel. I don't know how many actually there are, but <laughs> no, we can no, Google version up to her later. <laughs> but like, you know, however many, those have always existed, you know, as far, I mean, in history, as far back as we know, you know, written history, like, and most ideas have already existed. I think right. what happens with ideas is that after over time when the same idea is repeated over and over, it loses its power. You know, it loses its, it loses some, it's like, it's, it's a powerful idea and a, in a, you get a visual from it and you can, you can embrace it and you can, you can say, yes, that's exactly how I feel. I want it. But over time that I, that, uh, that idea or not the idea, but the um, maybe way of explaining the idea becomes stale. You know what yes. I mean? And it loses something, it loses something because it's, yeah. it's repeated, you know? And so as an artist, I think our job, the best artists, like their job is, is basically to take an ancient truth, something that's existed for forever and say it in a way, a new way that can connect. And it doesn't even have to be completely new, but maybe it just a way twists something a little bit, put it behind the right music, say it in a way that's, that actually gives power back to the idea um, that has kind of lost. I mean, you know, one, one example, and I, I don't know, again, I don't know your listeners, but like, I'm sure if I said something like, or if somebody came up to you on the street and said, I am a born again Christian, that would, that would like immediately say something to some, some people would hear that and they, they would, it comes with baggage, you know, they would yeah. say, Oh, well, this dude's a crazy. Right. Right. Or yeah. if, or in some people would be like, yeah, that's me too. You know, and, yeah. and all those things. But if you just go back to the idea, which is, which is you can become a new person. Like maybe you didn't live how you always, maybe you didn't live how you wanted to live and you were, which I think we all have gone through those moments where we're like, who am I? Why am I doing this? And the idea that there's hope that you can, that, that you can have a new start, right. a fresh start. That's great. Right. That's this right. beautiful idea, but you get what I'm saying. Like the baggage, yeah. the baggage. So I think as artists, I think whatever kind of art form you, you, you uh, practice, I think, I think our job is to, 
to tell an ancient truth, you know, and hopefully, yeah. you know. And I think, yeah, and I think that's something that's a, it's a good point when you're talking about the idea of, of someone stating born again Christian or what I am. And then I think if you, if you boil that down to the truth of, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take care of each other. We're trying to love each other. We're trying to provide for each other. We're trying right. to make sure that people who have less are taken care of, that those who have more are able to give, uh, to take care of those who have less to give. And then through that, you're able to build this new society and this new way of living and this new way of being, this new state of being. And that is forming that community and really having this um, positiveness running throughout is something that a lot of folks can go, well, yes, I want to be a part of that. I want to help build a better society. But I think, yeah, you do, folks are lost on some of the trappings of phrase or yeah. the language because like language because, itself like even when you just yes. said born again christian i kind of cringed a little bit sure. and not because i, I mean I, right. I'm I, mean. I love jesus you know that's me but i kind of cringed a little bit like oh gosh like are you does that mean does that come along with all this other baggage of you know I mean, we can go on on that. I'm, I don't right. think it's probably the most beneficial, but like, I think to understand that maybe we need to use new language when we speak, you know, I mean, I mean, we see it all the time right now. I mean, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I mean, we get caught, there's trigger phrases, you know, all the way around, you know, yeah. black lives matter, all lives matter, you know, all these things are triggers, you know, sure. and but both of those statements are a hundred percent true. And I, and yeah, we probably shouldn't get into that. I don't know if I'm no, but no, 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 no. I, I know what you're trying to say in that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to echo the thought of, of the fact where it's like, you know, I can, I can see you're, you're voicing how you can, how one can see the, the, the perspective of someone over here saying, well, all lives matter. And it's like, well, yes, you are correct. But the reason yeah. that someone is saying black lives matter is because people are not valuing that and it's being demonstrated in exactly. these ways. So, so they're trying to raise it up to grab your attention. So you'll listen and then we can start the work to help put out the metaphorical house that's on fire down the street so we can come back and all be a better community and society. Yeah. And I think because 100%. people just see some, a phrase like black lives matter, then they don't go deeper to understand why folks are saying that and how right. it's applicable to their own life and then, and so on and so forth. So there we go. Let me just, I just wanted to kind of bring that back around. And let yeah, that man. Play. No, I mean, that, no, and, I mean, it's, I mean, that's exactly right. And not to, I mean, we're, we're going off on a tangent here, but no, it's good. you know, I mean, yeah, I think bottom line with all that is like, we, like, we just need to, you're right. We just need to listen to each other. Right. And we exactly. need to continue to humanize people instead of dehumanizing people. Like I right. feel like in the, in the, everything is, everything is real polar right now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's one, it's you're either on this side or on that side. And there's no like, Hey, come over to my house and let's have dinner and let's right. talk about it. And you I think that's see people the, breaking bread. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, and I think it's easier to dehumanize somebody online. You know, you mm -hmm. see that all the time. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I've said this a hundred times. You, I don't know. You might've heard me say this at some point, but like, it's like, if I get mad at somebody driving, you know, and 
like they cut me off, you know, and they're, and, and I get angry and I start, I'm ready to just not, I'm ready to punch them, you know, like right. Right. And we pull over and I open the door and it's my grandma. All of a sudden yeah. I go, I know I have a relationship. I know her, you know, it's like, right. it's, it's like, Oh, grandma, I'm not, I'm not going to punch her in the face. I'm just like, yeah. come on, exactly. drop that. You know what I mean? So right. I think, yeah. I think all that, all that, the point is basically like engage, you know, yes. put yourself in places that aren't normal to you and engage with people. So sorry, I, exactly. I really derailed your. No, no, no. It's good because, because bringing it back around, I mean, music is an expression where we're able to share these ideas and these thoughts and, what I find oftentimes is music can draw people in to a artist's personal story and perspective where they may not necessarily have been open to hearing them speak before hearing the music. Example, Sam Smith, very popular individual, very prominent member of the LGBTQ plus community. And he was somebody that I knew um, a personal friend who had a, had a certain bias against the, the community and was very staunch in, in their perspective and belief and, and just categorized everybody as a, as a group of people that they didn't like because they hadn't interacted with one. They had zero perspective, right? Or so they believe. Became a huge fan of Sam Smith because his music is incredible. And, you know, Stay With Me was something that was on over all the radio stations. Became a huge fan of it. Bought his CDs, was going on, on, on about it. And then because he was performing on some late night show and they did an interview with him, you know, one of those quick little interviews after it, he started share, opening up and sharing his perspective and how he came out to friends and family and what his perspective has been now. And it really warmed her heart to where she went, you know, I've been demonizing for lack of a better word, a group of people that I didn't know anything about. I had no exposure to them. I had no interaction with them. I didn't see them as individuals who have hopes and dreams and fears and everything else. I just saw them as a group of people to be against, not a group of people to break bread with. And that changed her perspective. And now she is a much more open individual to listening to people's stories, learning their perspectives and growing as a person. And that's bringing it back around. That's how music can kind of open a lot of those doors that are historically closed. Because, I mean, we can yell and shout all day and that gets nowhere. And what brings people together are these open doors and open invitations to where you can sit and listen, break bread and talk and you know, just have a, have a conversation, which will yeah. mean yeah. a lot. Yeah. That's great, man. I love that. I love that because I feel like it's, it's something he'll probably never know mm -hmm. uh, that he, that he was able to um, be a part of that, you know, which is right. a beautiful thing. You know, I feel like it's like, you know, yeah, exactly. that's cool. Like exactly. That. Well, let's wind the clock back a little bit and let's get to what was, Davy like growing up was uh, a lot of these people grow up in a very musical household, uh, either playing the instrument or singing around. Some people don't. So I'd love to know. So are you from Indiana? Am I correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So yeah, from I, grew up, I grew up. Yeah. I grew up about a half an hour South of Indianapolis. So okay. pretty small town. Pawnee. In between. Pawnee. It, dude, <laughs> I think, okay. So side note, I think Pawnee is, Based after Columbus, or was it uh, Columbus? I think it's Columbus, Indiana. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's based after that city. And I, I only reason I say it is because I worked some really random job a long time ago, and like 
I talked to the city council, somebody at somebody on the city, like on the city council. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's like, that was like Leslie. No, like it was seriously like so stoked. Of, well, have you, well, Oh, you're from that. You're, I was from a town called Martinsville. They're like, Oh, you're from Martinsville. I bet you know about us. And I'm like, well, kinda. And she's like all the architecture world, world class. Did you see our bridge? And I'm like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I did see that. That's cool. <laughs> but it was, it felt, so I'm sorry if you're from Columbus, Indiana, but I feel like maybe Pawnee is Columbus, Indiana. That makes sense. Okay. So you're from, you're not from Pawnee, Indiana though. I'm not, um, I'm so, so what was that like for you growing up uh, in Indiana? What was your family life like? And let's kind of start charting your musical journey. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a really, I, I like, I'm, I'm lucky, you know, I think I, I was able to be born into a family that is loving and, uh, always helpful. My mom was always encouraging me to, uh, to, um, be good to people, you know, to be kind to people and be good to people. And so I grew up in a really good family. My parents were, uh, foster, uh, fostered some kids for a while. Um, really no, like, deep emotional scars through my childhood. I mean, that I can think of, you know? So, um, yeah, so pretty good. I, there wasn't a whole lot of music specifically, especially when I was really young, my mom listened to the beach boys and like, not even the cool part of the beach boys, like the early beach boys, which I guess are cool. I've learned to love a little more, but like, not like the pet sounds right. smile, <laughs> smile era or smiley smile era. So, um, yeah, so I listened to Beach Boys a little bit. Um, I can remember, it's so weird. I don't know why. I just always loved music, you know? I always I always loved music and the idea of being a musician, you know? So, mm -hmm. like, my first band was, like, I think, well, it really wasn't a band, but it was, like, in elementary school, it was, like, three other kids on the bus, and <laughs> we had, like, a, a band that our bus driver would play the, like, pop station, the uh, – the pop radio station and uh we would sing every, i mean you hear the same songs over and over so we would we would sing every song and one of us would be the guitar player so we'd be pretending and somebody right. else would be the singer and but yeah i think we were called the wild stallions which i think that might have been taken but uh, right. <laughs> but yeah so that's i saw there's always this like weird thing my brother was in a metal like a hair metal band um, in high school and so I was in junior high he was in high school in a hair metal band like playing that the school dance and stuff things like that and so I thought they and they had like a they had one of the band members his dad had like a bunch of like stage lights so they had a really big light show and it just looks so stinking cool and I thought man I want to be like that you know That's so awesome and I think definitely Marty McFly uh, had something to do with my future, you know, too. I right. guess that's kind of ironic. Uh, but back to the future had something to do with my future. Um, right. But I like that. So, so you're drawn to the, the, so you obviously a huge fan of music, right. But you're drawn to the, the, almost the showmanship aspect of it. Right. So it's yeah. like, you like the idea of being a, a, a musician. You like the, the, the lights and the big show that your brother is doing with his band. And then, um, you know, you're, 
thinking about Marty McFly and his too darn loud guitar uh, on stage yeah. at the Under the Sea dance, you know, and, and all these elements. And that's interesting to me because actually having seen you perform live and getting to see the showman that you were, or I would say still are, except that you're not currently diving off stages. You're, you're a little, a little bit more, um, on the ground these days, but, but, um, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but still, but, but I see those elements and I saw those elements incorporated, um, from firsthand experience. And so it's interesting to see that kind of showmanship aspect because I think music brings people in for different reasons, but then, you find perhaps interacting with it a little bit different than you may have expected. So as we're, as we're starting to, to wrap up this first segment and get into the bleach of it all, I'd really love to know, I'd love for you to kind of tease us up because I, as I, if I recall the early workings of bleach happened when you were in college, correct? At Kentucky right, Christian yeah. college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kentucky Christian college, which is Kentucky Christian university now, but okay. Gotcha. So what drew you, let's do this. Let's say what drew you to the university in the first place? What was some of the uh, conversations like where you started putting the group together and then uh, tee us up for what happened? Like kind of, to really get the ball rolling down the bleach train. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember I, I'd been in a band in high school um, and we did that for a little bit. And when I got into college, well, the thing that drew me to college, honestly, was I think, I don't think I really knew what I was going to do um, completely, <laughs> which it's funny that that takes you to a place that where you spend a lot of money trying to figure out what you're going to do. But um <laughs> But I, I think there was something – I think I wanted to – I my uh, youth minister growing up had really had an impact on me. And he wasn't one of these type of – he wasn't like a type of youth minister that, like, is all about the the games and the overnighters and, like, hype. He was the exact opposite of hype. He was, like, just a good dude. Yeah. Like, he would sit and, like, if you're going through something, he would sit with you for – I mean, my brother went through something and he met with my brother like every single day, sometimes yeah. twice a day when he was going through it, you know? So like, he's just one of those dudes that is just always there. He's reliable. He's just a good guy. And so, and he would, we, I honestly, when I was in youth group wanted to, this is so off subject, but I, I feel like I want to say it. I sure. honestly would be like, dude, are we going to do some fun stuff like lock-ins or like, should we start a bat? Like, could we start a basketball league? And he would just look at me and go, yeah, we can do that. How do you, how do you want to start? He's like, he's like, I'll support you. And so he was like literally teaching us to be leaders in the moment. And so he had all that to say, he had a huge impact on me. And so I thought, well, maybe I want to be a youth minister um, because I really like this dude. He was just loving and kind. So I want to be like that, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. So that's what led me there. And, but when I got to college, I had already been in a band and my roommate and I were talking about being in a band. And I told him, I said, there is no way I'm going to get in a band, especially first semester. I'm going to focus on my school. I'm going to focus on like being in college. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. We'll start our band uh, like maybe next year, or next semester. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And I still feel bad about it, but like, I, I, so I broke my arm. I broke my arm the first day skateboarding of school. Oh, no. And in about two weeks into college, somebody, one of the dude, there was like basically two bands on campus. There were two rival 
bands. No, they weren't really rival, but they were two main bands. And uh, the dude that was in the most popular band walked by my by my uh, room and was like, saw a guitar and some music equipment. He's like, he's like, dude, you play guitar? And I was like, I was like, yeah. And I, I, I'm not a very good guitar player, but I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm, my hand's not broken, you know? And he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, when you get that cast off, you need to come uh, audition for us. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Um, didn't really tell my roommate about that uh, because we were going to start a band. But right. then a couple of days later, um, the other band that was on campus, which was Sam from Bleached, yep. uh, Matt Gingrich, the original drummer, and a guy named Todd Kirby, who was our original bass player. Uh, they, they, I got to talking to Sam, and honestly, I saw Sam in the hall, and I thought, that dude is so cool. Like, I feel like he just looks so cool, and also a little bit intimidating, which is funny. If you ever meet Sam, he's not intimidating at all, but he had, like, these, these, like, uh, combat-style boots on, and he, like, kind of had a, she had a shaved head and a tattoo, and I thought, that dude is like intense. Like, I don't even know if I could talk to him. And anyway, we ended up becoming friends and he's like, man, you should, you should come try to sing for our band. And I was like, okay. So I tried out and that's, that's how bleach started. It was Love just it. in those moments, you know? So I, I went, I remember the first practice I, he's like, just come to practice to come to our practice tonight. And I remember our first practice and I, the first practice, I didn't sing or anything. I just listened. And I was like, Holy crap. There's something really special about this sorry that was a acorn falling on the roof of my RV. Uh, if you heard that voice but i remember thinking there's something really special um really special about this these dudes and so then i joined that band and i think my roommate was mad at me because we never started the band do you ever uh, reconcile with your roommate no, I was just thinking about that. I need to call him. I need to find him and be like, hey, dude, remember when I said that? It, I, well, I don't want to get too deep into that, but he never really liked, he never really liked the band either. So I, was, I just was sitting here thinking like, you know, 25 years later, maybe he, uh, maybe he didn't like it because I lied to him. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> just, just wondering. Um, but no, I love it. Um, well, uh, that's a perfect tee up. So you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. And so I'll fight the currents. I'll fight the undertow. Help me swim away from where my weakness grows and Let me know 
Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I don't know about anybody else, but I've got a super good feeling about this segment. Yes, I do have to always throw in a pun. It's okay. I'm just a little broke in the head. It's not a big deal. Uh, anyways, all right, all right. I, I digress. I digress. Um, but let's talk about the bleach of it all. So you've you've got the band formed, uh, or you, the early beginnings of what's gonna what's going to be bleach, and you're you're doing the practice. So I want to know from that point in college until the very first record, which I believe was super good feeling on that first record. If I'm remembering no, it correctly, was, that was on the second. Second, record. second. Record. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so walk me through what the journey was like. Cause so here's, I'm of two minds about this segment. Cause there's a lot of good stuff to dig into. But what I'm interested about wow. is the chronology of getting from college to those records. But even more importantly, I'm, I'm interested in understanding how bleach went. How's the best way to frame this? You you were a group that if I was in the, I guess, Christian music circles of my friends and people I interacted with, there is like, I could list a bunch of different bands and people may or may not know, but Bleach was one of the f few bands that I could say that everybody knew at least super good feeling, if not multiple, multiple songs and records. And so I want to know how you got from like kind of obscurity, so to speak, to something where people understand who you are and are coming out in droves to your concerts and buying your records and really kind of elevating Bleach to this next level. Well, I can tell you this story. I mean, I still feel like I don't really understand how it happened. You know, I mean, sure. there's a part of me that's like, like I ran a record label for about seven years and bands would ask me, so how do we get, how do we do this? And I would, I'd just be like, I don't know. It really is just kind of, I feel like in a lot of ways I kind of lucked into it and like, it was just something that was supposed to be, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. I, I mean, like, so we started, we, we were playing shows in college. I think our first thing was a talent show. Um, then we played like this, the big show we had was this one that was off campus and it was called the pumpkin fest. <laughs> and I think there was maybe like 10 people from our college there and, and it was out in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Kentucky. So we played on like a, uh, like a hate like a uh, like a trailer a, a farm trailer you know um but uh we were doing shows like that and then our guitar player um at the time his brother had went to kentucky christian college too but like maybe like four or five years earlier um well during that time there was another band on campus it was a band called audio adrenaline and so they went they went to that school and so our guitar player basically called up the guitar player for audio adrenaline and said hey i have a band would would you be willing to produce it or somehow it got connected we got connected with that right. guitar player uh his name's barry blair so barry blair so so barry blair said yeah i want to do it i think that'd be awesome and we were just like we were losing our minds we'd already recorded one record it was like an ep six song ep and then barry came and we recorded I think maybe four or five more songs um, in this little uh, studio in Ashland, Kentucky called, uh, oh man, what was it called? Something, uh, Audio Tracks was the name of the studio. <laughs> it was like an eight, it was like an eight channel. I mean, like it, it wasn't like, I mean, like you had eight channels or something like that. It was really like a really small, I think Billy Ray Cyrus 
their uh, band would not Billy Ray Cyrus, but his band would record there when they wanted to record something just because they were with the audio engineer. So we recorded there. Barry took it back to um, Nashville. I mean, he just had it and he was, he went back to Nashville. When he got back to Nashville, there was a, a party for our, for our record, what would become our record label. There was a party with all the artists, a, a label called Forefront Records. And, yep. uh, um, they had a party. Barry was there. The, uh, the president of the company, uh, Forefront Records was there. And ev- I mean, everybody that was involved with Forefront, DC Talk, you know, um, all those people were there. And, uh, Barry was talking to Eddie DeGarmo, who was the president of the label. And he said, this is the story I heard. I don't know. I might be telling it wrong, but, um, he said, Eddie just asked him what he'd been up to. And he said, Oh, I just recorded a band in Kentucky. And Eddie's like, I want to hear it. And so, so Barry's like, well, it's not quite there yet. And he's like, hey, man, I want to hear it. And so Barry showed it to Eddie, and Eddie liked it. And then Eddie, we found out Eddie wanted to come see a show in Kentucky. Um, so he came, he drove from Nashville to Eastern Kentucky to Grayson, Kentucky, to watch us play. And I think we kind of, uh, it's funny because it, nobody i mean there was like a handful of people that even cared about us on campus i don't feel like i don't feel like it was like we tried to get the school to like support us in the sense of like they did support us they gave us a place to practice but we tried to be like a school sponsored band that we could they would give us a band to go out and talk about the school and they were like ah, i don't know which is probably smart on their end but um uh being a conservative you know christian college i don't know I mean, maybe, maybe it would have been good. I don't know. Anyway, all I had to say, there wasn't a ton of support. And then we, we, they found out that this, I don't know who whose day is, but basically it got around that this record label, this, this, this record executive was coming all the way to Grayson to see our band. And so next thing you know, they put it up on the, like the TV screens as you walk through the main student areas and stuff. And so it was like, record executive coming and man we like rented the best equipment that we could like the best gear that we possibly could the lights like we just did it as hard as we could yeah you and did a glow up the light company literally was like yeah man well don't i mean they were like they donated their time and energy the lighting and and pa and stuff and just because i think they didn't have anything else to do and they were like yeah, yeah. let's do it so long yeah. story short came to like kind of a loaded situation like i mean dudes on the basketball team who probably had no i'd I'd never met before that day like they everybody was there the whole campus was there it was packed people were crowd surfing it was nuts and eddie afterwards took us out to a real fancy restaurant probably the nicest place in grayson kentucky at the time it was called shoney's and he took us to he took us out to shoney's and uh (laughs) basically was like yeah that's pretty good and uh we were like okay like we're just waiting for him to say he's gonna find us he's like i want to see you guys one more time and so he he came to another show in indiana that show we weren't so good at and uh long he he had our parents come so i think that's what kind of did it is he had all our parents show up at that show so i feel like he he had an idea that he was going to sign us at that point even though our show was really horrible i think he was like had already kind of like he kind of already i think honestly i don't i don't know if i, I wouldn't assign us. we weren't that great at that point, at that point. <laughs> pretty bad like he literally went through and was like told us all the things we did wrong like 
you were singing off key. He's like, you need to stop dancing around so much and focus on playing your guitar and bass, you know, like all this stuff. And at the end, Sam, again, Sam's always the center of the story, I feel like, but Sam just kind of looked at him and goes, well, this is after about 40 minutes. He's like, well, are are you going to sign us or not? That's exactly what Sam said. (laughs) And he goes, yeah, I think I'm going to sign you. And so, like, Sam literally, we're in this church, okay? Sam literally rips his shirt off and screams at the top of his lungs, yeah! And starts, he runs out of the door, the front door, and runs around the church building screaming and then comes back in. And I don't know, I mean, at that point, I'm like, yeah, we are screwed. He's not signing us now. Right. (laughs) There's no contract. And uh, literally, we dropped out of school. I think he made us promise we were going to go back to college which again i lied i didn't ever go back to college but um like we dropped out of college moved to nashville and then moved in a house together and the rest is kind of like history you know we then we started doing shows recorded a real record and or somewhat real i guess our first record and yeah so that's how we that's how it got started How did you get from, because you released three records with Forefront at that time and then moved over to Tooth and Nail. And we've had Jason Dunn from Hawk Hawk Nelson talk about his experience with Tooth and Nail. Um, So what was it like? What was the the catalyst for changing labels at that time? And and to me, I felt like the sound evolved a little bit as well. I don't know if that coincided with the change in the label or if it was just a natural progression of the group. Um, But listening to the first three albums and then again for the first time, which was actually the first Bleach album I ever owned, um, as I was telling you before, we started recording. They feel different, huh? Yeah, they do. And my copy of it is scratched all to hell. I, uh, it's, I found a copy, I found the copy of it and I don't know how it's still held together. I've listened to it so many times, but, but the sound does, it does evoke a difference, um, and a different demeanor and feeling. And I mean, honestly, again, for the first time is what brought me to bleach. And so I absolutely love it. Um, but I do appreciate the older records as well. So I would love to note circling back around to my first question, the catalyst for that change in labels and also the sound. Well, I think enough times passed by. I can give you the, the honest and truthful uh, story, which is first off, I, during that time. So the first two records, the first two records that we wrote, I feel like we were still figuring out who we were completely. Like the first record was just a bunch of songs we wrote in college, not thinking we would ever, ever have a chance to be released like nationally or worldwide, you know? And uh, so we just, which it, it, I mean, I know that sounds funny now because people listen and they're like, they're like, Oh, well I can release something on iTunes now. And it's worldwide. There was no iTunes when we started, there was no YouTube. There was no like to, you had to have distribution. You had to have somebody who was willing to put your record out there and they had to print a bunch of copies and literally send them to stores. And so to, to have like, worldwide distribution was like a huge deal you know so um i never i don't think any of us ever thought it would be beyond local and so when it did we just ended up recording the songs we had already written mostly and tweaking some of those so the second record i think was us trying really hard to do what we thought we were supposed to do um you know and i don't i don't even know 
I, I mean, I look back at it and I don't think any of us had a clue what we were doing. We just, we weren't trying to, we were trying to do what we thought people wanted us to do, I guess sure. is what I'm saying. And then the third record, we really just did what we felt. Yeah. So I feel like the third, our third record, which is self-titled was a defining moment. That's why it's self-titled, you know, and usually somebody's first records are self-titled one for us, the self-titled people call it the couch record. Um, the couch record was literally our first record. I think that we, that we felt like was us. Um, after that record, our drummer, uh, our drummer left, who was a very important part of our, our band, Matt Gingrich. Actually, he's over at my house today, uh, helping me put on a trailer hitch on my car. So he's one of my best friends, but, but he left and he was, he was the principal songwriter uh, specifically for the first two. And then I'd say he wrote probably 60 plus percent of the, of the third record too. Um, so he, so obviously gave a, a distinct sound, you know, I think I, I'd say he wrote 60. I probably, or he probably wrote 50. I probably wrote maybe like 35 to 40 and then the rest of the band. And when I say wrote, we all wrote it, the songs together. It's just who came with the idea, I guess is what right. I'm saying. Um, so he left the band. Um, so that's, I think, a big part of the change in sound. Uh, I will also say this. This is the part that I was like, it's been long enough, I can be honest. And that's when we got to that third record, Eddie DeGarmo, who, the guy who signed us to the to Forefront, had sold the record label to Capitol Records, which was EMI uh, at the time. He had sold yeah. the record label. So his deal was something like he was supposed to stay or he, he stayed at the record label and worked for like a year or two more years. I don't remember exactly, but he was had a, a, a specific amount of time that he was supposed to stay at the record label. And then he was able to leave. Well, as soon as he left and, you know, basically new people came in and they, I think they just wanted to go a different direction. Like they yeah. focused on more pop. Uh, they focused on like Stacy Rica and there was a band called Rays at the time yep, yep. and they were wanting to do like, they were wanting to, I mean, that pop thing was really happening where, you know, it was like in sync, you know, kind of tied back to your last, uh, yeah. your last podcast, you know, it was those bands that were really blowing up and rock bands were like still happening at the time, but it wasn't like it was pop was pop was king. Right. I think, you know, I mean, there was some, there's a handful of really great rock bands still that happened during those times, but so they basically brought us in and we're like, Hey, I think we're going to drop you. And we were kind of like ready to be dropped really. Like we, to be honest, we were like, we didn't feel like we, we didn't feel like it was no bad blood. Like I love those guys. If I saw them today, I'd be stoked to see them. But like, I think we just didn't feel like, we were understood really completely. Yeah. Like it just didn't feel like we were part of where they were going. If that makes right. sense. And so, so then we had, we were left with a choice of trying to figure out if we do independent records or if we uh, find a record label. And at the time, independent still was very hard. You still, you would still have to find the distribution that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah. So long, long story, hopefully a little bit shorter. Sorry, that was a real long answer. That's about as most detailed as I've ever been. We, we ended up, we ended up recording like five songs and um, we record them all on our own and we started pitching to record labels. So we pitched to uh, Goatee Records. We pitched to 
a, a label called Vagrant Records and Tooth and Nail Records. And then a couple others, I think like uh, Fair Trade before it was called Fair Trade. I think it was something else. Um, uh, maybe Squint, Squint Records. So, so we were, we were just pitching to everybody. And, and honestly, I think since we'd already been a band for a while, I think a couple, a couple of those labels, labels passed kind of quickly because they were just like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and it really kind of came down to Tooth and Nail and Vagrant Records. Do you think do you think the labels that passed on you because you'd been a band passed on you because of the fact that they didn't feel that they could kind of shape the image in in a way that worked for the label? Is that was yeah, that maybe, maybe the thinking there? Okay, I think maybe so. I mean, I think I mean I know I know for for a fact my some of my best friends worked at Goatee Records, and they said that they they were all about it, but there were some people at the label that were not about it. And the reason why is because they had had some bad experiences with bands that were, that were jaded and had been in the industry, which I don't think we, I don't think we really were, but they were afraid that we would, we would, we would go off the deep end, you know, and be jaded yeah, and like basically prima donnas, you know? And um, so they, I, and I get why they would think that, but, but we, that wasn't our MO at all. So, um, yeah, I think probably so. Like we were, we had found ourselves, you know, and so, and we were in the process of finding ourselves, you know, after our drummer, after Matt left, like we were like figuring out who we were and Sam and I have always been like really loved pop melodies, like in the sense of, uh, just catchy songs, you know, and, and more like three chord, just what again for the first time is that was yeah. Sam and I's kind of jam and Milam and jared two brothers who came in on that record and jerry who came in on that record our bass player um jerry had been touring with us before but this is that was the first record that those three guys recorded with us and so it was like it was basically a new band um we we're on a new label that's why it sounds different uh yeah our, so our main songwriter left so yeah so how did tooth and nail end up deciding to go ahead and extend the offer to bring y'all into the fold I don't know how they just, I mean, I think, I think we just sent our manager or somebody had sent, just sent a, sent the, we sent those five songs. That's what we were pitching. Sure. Okay. And gotcha. so they, they liked it and we're like, yeah, let's do it. And so, which is kind of cool. You know, it's a whole, yeah. there's a whole other side of it too. Like perception of how the band was viewed. Yeah. Um, and maybe you felt this way, like at the, on the first, on forefront, um, we, we were like the oddballs in the sense of, we were, um, we didn't really fit like the pop thing that was going on there. So right. they kind of looked at us as a little bit too edgy maybe. And then on Tooth and Nail, most of the Tooth and Nail crowd, which was a very specific loyal fan base, yep. was like, we don't like anything but Tooth and Nail. If it's anything else, it's sellout and it's mainstream and I don't like it. If you're on the yeah. same label that DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline and Jeff Moore in the Distance and you name Rebecca St. James is on and Stacey Rica, then, then you're not cool to us, you know? Right. And so we were in that group, you know, and we, lo I love all those, those artists are great. You know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time out on the road with Toby since Toby Mac since, um, with my job and, uh, my current job. But, um, he, but, uh, yeah, at that, I mean, at that point it was like, there was just these really distinct divides, you know? And so yeah. once we got on tooth and nail, all of a sudden we were, cool you know yeah. with the crowd the crowd was like oh 
yeah, I'm down with bleach, you know? So it kind of, I feel like it gave us a, we already had this fan base, but it gave us another step of life as an, as a band. It, um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it helped us. Yeah, no. Yeah. To echo, to echo that, I think this was my perspective in being, in being both a fan of tooth and nail, the label and bleach on tooth and nail. It, to me felt like, um, Oh, I had a great comparison and I lost it, but I'll say, I'll say this. It was like, it was like y'all were the cool throwback. It was like, it was almost like hipster to be a fan of bleach and then Bleach was brought on to Tooth and Nail. And so it was like, Bleach has already been around and already been a big deal. Now it's like, it's cool to like bring them in and really embrace them. And you've got all these like young up and coming acts on Tooth and Nail as well. But then you've got Bleach, that they're the, the weathered veterans that are also like kicking it and jumping in the crowd and, and partying with you, but also like have this mature quality about it. It, it was really cool. It was like, um, it's like a, like a veteran player coming back and, and reinvigorating life into a team of like rookies is almost i guess maybe a, a comparison yeah that's interesting that's, i love that man i love hearing i love hearing other perspectives of it than my own but I, I think that's cool because it's and all that it's great and cool it's just so it's also funny to think about like i think i was 25 right <laughs> you know like like yeah. it wasn't like i was like um, 55 at the time yeah it wasn't yeah. like i was we were you two or like you know what i mean or like yeah. that that age you know i don't know right. I, I mean like i was still like a kid you know so uh, but it did feel it, it felt a little bit like that to us too i think yeah definitely so i'd love to fast forward um to when the band decided to disband so you had several great records at tooth and nail what was the decision or what were some of the events surrounding the decision to to break the group up and then as well as like kind of the last record and then we'll we'll end this segment and get into what life has been like for you since yeah um well we went on our last i remember our last really long tour our tour before we decided to break up was with five iron frenzy and really it's five irons fall that we broke up no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Totally. Um, no, we, I think we were, um, there were so many things going on during that time. Um, one was my and Jared, our guitar player and our drummer who are brothers. They had, they have had an older brother named Josh, uh, Byers who, um, was killed in Iraq. And, uh, yeah, he was one of the first, uh, uh, I mean, not one of the first, but he, I mean, he was in the first group of people that kind of, kind of lost their life there. And so he was the captain in the army. Um, that was obviously really, really hard on them, but also on us is a, is a group too, you know, I mean, I could never compare it to what they were going through, but I think it was definitely, it was definitely a big, when two out of the three, two out of the five band members lose a brother, it's like a big deal, you know? Right. And so, um, yeah, so that had a lot to do with it. Um, I wouldn't say that was like the contributing factor. Uh, Sam had a baby, uh, his, his boy journey, who is now, um, graduated high school. I think, um, wow. he had a, he had a baby and journey and he was having to leave his kid every time we went on the road. Um, so that was kind of going on too. Um, and then I was kind of going through some marriage stuff, uh, where I was just like, 
I could feel my marriage pulling apart. And, um, you know, I was kind of like, if we talk about family and we talk about togetherness and we talk about like all these things of hopefulness and things like that and kind of, I need to deal with my stuff, you know? Um, and so I, I literally, we went from the five iron tour and then we had, uh, we had some shows in, in Europe. Um, and I remember we were in a town called, uh, Howda, which is Gouda, um, in the Netherlands. It's spelled, I mean, it's the same, it's the same as the cheese, you know, but, um, uh, we were in this like old city and we'd been there for a week and we were doing shows and we kind of basing out of this house that was above this books, like music store, basically like a bookstore slash music store. Uh, we were staying above that, above that with the, the owner of the music store and we were kind of going around doing shows. And, um, I got a phone, Milam and I went out and Milam was like, Hey, I wanted to go take a picture of that building. And there's a beautiful building out there. And we went out there and I can remember, I could take you to the exact spot. But I was just like, dude, I think I need to stop doing this. And he's like, what? And I was just like, yeah, man, I just, I just don't know. And I kind of explained to him what I was going through, going through in my marriage. And he was like, dude, you got to do it. He's like, he's like, we've always said family first. He's like, we need to, he said, we should, we should do it. We should quit. You know, we should stop. And I said, okay. (laughs) And I came back to the, we came back to the, um, the store to go back in and go to bed and everybody was freaking out and they were like, dudes, we've been looking for you. Where have you been? Where have you been? And I, we, I just was like, we just went for a walk out there and uh, they told me that my dad who was going through a surgery that day, it was supposed to be like routine uh, that he had basically hit one of his arteries got nicked during the surgery and they'd sewn him up and then they realized that he was internally bleeding. And so they, had to like cut him back open and try to stop the bleeding. And he was in a coma and this is all, I'm all, I'm in, I'm in Europe, you know, I'm in the Netherlands. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, and they're like, you need to come home now because he might not make it. And so keep in mind, this is the time period where there were no cell phones. When you got on a plane, you were disconnected from, from the world until yeah. you landed that plane. So I literally got on, I got in a, in this little like minivan with tires about the size of uh, soccer balls, super tiny van. And this big dude, Yako was his name, drove me from the Netherlands all the way to Frankfurt, like through the night to the Frankfurt airport in Germany. I got on a plane, flew to, um, flew to back to the United States and didn't know whether the whole time I didn't know whether I was going to get off the plane and, find out that my dad had passed or not and luckily i got off the plane he hadn't passed he he made he made it through he was still in a kind of in a induced coma he's still with us now you know that was that was 2005 i think so but um yeah so all of that happening at once and then i remember sam rode with us to rode with me to germany to get on the plane he he's like i'm riding with you so he got in the van with me and jocko and uh uh, us three were driving and that dude was driving that thing as fast as it could go to catch the plane. And like, I told Sam, I, I just, I remember we're sitting in the back. I just kind of leaned over. I said, dude, I think I'm going to quit the band. And he's like, dude, you can't do that. You're not supposed to make harsh. You're not supposed to make big decisions in the midst of 
uh, turmoil. And I was like, well, I've kind of been thinking about it for a while. He's like, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. You just need to get to your dad. And so later it came and we talked about it. And uh, yeah, so that's how it ended. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. You have a sad single thing the whole way home. Air is thick, awkward silence. So you turn off the radio. And I don't think I've got to tell you. I hope you already know what you reap is what you Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Davey Basinger. And that was an incredible segment, especially the the ending. And uh, I'm you know thankful that your dad is still here with us today and everything worked out because it, it is one of those situations where you don't know anything until you get off the plane. You hope and pray and do everything that you can to make sure the right energy and vibes and everything are there. But at the end of the day, we're powerless to do anything about it. And it's just, it's going to be what it's going to be. And it's, it can be really difficult with that, but I'd love to kind of pivot on that perspective and, and really go through, let's spend this segment. I want to talk about your life post bleach and what you've really been up to since then. So now you, you are remarried and you've, you're a dad and that's exciting. And you've got some awesome work you're doing for food for the hungry incorporated. So I would love, uh, let's start perhaps with maybe, um, what was it like for you in the immediate aftermath of Bleach? Um, did you have, you did mention that you used to work at uh, a record label or ran a record label for several years. Was this during Bleach or was this after Bleach? Uh, this was after Bleach, yeah. Okay. So I so I, I worked at a record label after Bleach too. I, so, so as soon as we got done, I, I, throughout all of the time in Bleach, I did graphic design. And okay. I started just doing our t-shirts. Like I used some like Microsoft paint or something. That's my first <laughs> design tool, but I've always been interested in creating in some way. And so I did, I started doing t-shirt designs um, for us. And then other bands were like, Hey, who did your t-shirt design? And I was like, I did. And they're like, we do one for us. And I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, where'd you get them printed? And I was like, uh, I, I went use this one dude in Indiana. Like he's an old friend, you know? And they're like, Oh yeah. Do you think you could get him? Could you give us his number? And I was like, yeah. And so we kind of went through this whole stage where I basically walked them through the whole thing. And then um, uh, my ex-wife actually was at a temp job in Nashville and there was a shooting and somebody was, somebody was murdered at the job she was at. And she was, we were both pretty shooken up. And I was like, you know, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just tell people, like, I pretty much have already started a merch company. Like, why don't you just take it over? You know? Um, and so she started doing that and, and I still continue to do graphic design. 
I did some record label or some record covers. Um, I did a lot of stuff for Reliant K. I, I think I did three of their album covers. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I did uh, Forget Not Slow Down. Well, I t let me take that back. Uh, Matt's uncle, I think it's his uncle, one of his relatives painted the picture that's on the cover. Yeah. It's a painting. And But I did the layout. I just helped lay it out. And then I fully designed uh, – let it snow, baby. Let it rain, dear. And um, uh, the bird and the B sides, I think, was another one. I oh, did. awesome! And then I did like a Family Force Five record. I did a, I did a ton of that stuff. So I worked for, I was doing freelance graphic design, and then I worked for a small label called uh, Rambler Records, which was a band called The Wedding, uh, Deus Vale, and this guy John Davis, who is a hero of mine, uh, played in a band called Super Drag, but. Um, yeah, so I got to do the graphic design for that stuff, and I was like the creative director at that record label, and it only lasted for about two years, a year and a half, something like that. And then I continued to do graphic design freelance, and I did contract work for Goatee Records, and then uh, I was somebody called me, this artist called me to do a um, to do an album cover, and I really didn't want to do it, but I was like. So I was kind of like, uh, well, I gave them my full price. You know, I was like, this is how much it's going to cost. And they said, okay. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, because normally it's like in the music business, if you've ever been around any musicians, it's usually like, hey, man, can you help me out? <laughs> you know, right. like we're poor. Right. And so um, that artist was on a label and the owner of that label called me and said, hey, I want to start, I want to start a record label and I want you like after several conversations, he's basically like, I want you to run it. And so, so me and him, him and I, I guess would be the more proper way to say it, uh, started a record label and I did that for about seven years. And then, uh, at the end of that, I started kind of transitioning into the work that I'm doing with food for the hungry. Let's, let's talk through what is the current work that you're doing for food for the hungry? Um, so I'm a, uh, touring artist and artist and touring and artist relations manager. So basically what that looks like is we have a really small team. Um, every single person on our team, I are like family to me. Um, I love, I love the people I get to work with. Um, great conversation, just great, just great people. And so, um, so that's awesome. Um, but what I do mainly is I, I kind of make sure that we have the, our tours staffed well. So we, so what Food for the Hungry does a lot, a lot of what we do or what I do is um, we, we secure sponsorships on tours. So we basically go out as like the tour sponsor. And so like, you know, like Bud, Bud Light would sponsor a tour and then they go and put banners up everywhere or whatever, or, you know, uh, Geico would sponsor a tour. I think right. Honda, did one like the Honda Civic tour. It was like all these bands and then they would have the Honda stuff everywhere. So for us, it's not necessarily like we're selling a product, but um, we, we sponsor these tours and we get to go and talk like and get to talk a little bit, like 10, 15 minutes about what food Hungry does. And uh, so then at the end of that talk, usually whoever's speaking will say, Hey, if you want to be a part of this and they give, they give, people an opportunity to um 
to to help uh, give to the to the organization. And so usually that is through child sponsorship. Sure. So they have kids. We have packets of kids that um, are in communities that we're working in, and those kids get sponsored. And basically, it helps their family and that helps that child, their family, and ultimately their community, kind of uh, in so many different ways uh, get out of poverty. And I, you know, there's it's it's pretty amazing uh yeah it's good it's good it's probably it's funny because it is probably my favorite job i've ever had which That's is awesome. weird to say whenever you've been the lead singer of a band which is also a favorite job and you know run a record label um relief work is the most rewarding and best the best job i've ever been a part of so I can completely see that because of the fact that it ties into what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is the core truth of an idea such as wanting to make the world a better place and wanting to help out those who are less fortunate. If you have more, you can give to those who don't have any, you can bring them up so they're able to to have a full life and be able to live to their fullest potential and then they can pass it on and they can pay it forward. And so, I mean, this, this idea uh, is a universal truth that a lot of people can get behind. And so you have something like food for the hungry, where you're doing a lot of good work, the entire organization, as well as your part in it, it, it goes a long way. And you can kind of see how something that is a universal truth that matters to so many folks, but we talked specifically about how it matters to you earlier I can see how that is able to come full circle here at the end of just this episode of why it means so much now. And it's not that being a lead singer in a band wasn't great because it was fantastic. And we've touched on that and how amazing it was, but it's, it's almost, it's, it's apples and oranges almost. I mean, the lead singer in the band was fantastic and artistic. You're engaging with the music and you're imprinting on people imprinted on me as an example. But then you have this, work where you're able to see real tangible results of how you are making a difference in the world. And when you are done with your time on this earth, you can comfortably feel like my legacy was trying to make the world a better place. And these are the different ways in which I set about doing it. And I think it's extremely yeah. rewarding and commendable, the work that y'all are doing for sure. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, I think like even with the band, I mean, uh, I talked to another guy and he was like oh you guys were you guys were a fun band and i think that was part of it man we like we love we love playing music we loved having fun you know and bringing everybody in on that but i think also there was this deeper thing that was happening in us and it started on the third it started really on the third record and that was people started to stop stop saying oh my gosh i listen to you every morning you get me pumped up in the morning you know to like saying like hey my mom and dad got divorced and I listened to your record and that's been the thing that's helped me through it, you know, right. or, you know, I lost my best friend and your record, your songs have this particular songs helped me through it. And so we like realized that, which is funny. I don't know if you can remember back, but at the beginning I said, the second record was one that we were trying to make for everybody else. Like what yeah. we thought we were supposed to be. The third record was just being honest of who we are. And that was the one that actually connected yeah. with people on a deep, deeper level. So I think it's stop. It was us stop stopping trying to be something and just being okay with our brokenness and who we were. Right. That actually spoke to other people, which is yeah. kind of stumbled upon that, you know, but it's, it's so true. That's the power of music. And that's what resonates with folks is when you're able to 
be real and honest in the brokenness and raw with your full truth and just own it and step in it and talk about how, you know, I, I am going through a lot of stuff and this is how I'm processing it and I'm putting it down into words and I'm playing it and I, I don't have the answers and I'm very visibly talking about how or singing about how I don't have the answers and I'm putting it out for you consumer, um, not consumer in a negative sense, but consumer of the music uh, to pick it up and like a Rubik's cube, you know, fiddle with it and see what you can make out of it. And then you're passing it on and it, and it's going on and on. But I think when you have this idea of making the music that, you know, making, making the music that is popular, making the music that the folks want, you can still find some value and reward out of it. But I do think that the things that you, like to your point, the things that you're going to remember are the stories of, I was going through this dark time and this record helped me process my grief as opposed to like, I was pumped up and I'm in the gym. Like, that's great too. We need that music too. Yeah, yeah. It's like most people like listen to, when you ask them why they listen to music, it's to become happy. You know, yeah, and right. it's funny because for me and other people like me, I'm sure there are other people like me, like sometimes what makes me happy is realizing that other people are going through a struggle, not because I want them to go through a struggle, but because, no, yeah. I, because yeah. I can relate with that struggle because I, yes. I feel like I connect with, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's somebody else. Um, exactly. I played this song by uh, American Aquarium one time for this uh, friend of mine at the time. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, it was called Casualties, Casualties of Rock and Roll. It's an amazing tune, but it feels like it feels a lot like my life. And I, I loved it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, you got to hear this song. It's so good. And they had never been in a band or done any music or anything. And they got to the end of it. And they're like, that's got to be the most depressing song I've ever heard. <laughs> and I, I, I never even dawned on me that it was depressing because yeah. I felt like it was like, yeah, that's me. You know, I feel yeah. that, you know. And so. uh yeah, it's weird. It's weird how that works out. But all that to say, to kind of go back to your point, and that is, yeah, I want to do things in my life that matter, that last. Um, you know, with Food for the Hungry, our focus, even though like a lot of people get involved because they sponsor a child and you can write letters back and forth to those kids, you can go visit them. I visited, I've actually got to see, to meet two of the kids that I sponsor. Um, and actually meet their parents, go to their community. But every one of those kids lives in a community that we are working, Food for the Hungry is working directly with. And when I say Food for the Hungry, it's not just white people from America that are going to Africa and helping people. It's literally, we are working with natives in that area. So like, like when I was in Peru, everybody I met in Peru that worked for Food for the Hungry was Peruvian. Like in the Dominican Republic, everybody I met in the DR, except for I met one one other American and one dude from Bolivia, but everybody else was Dominican. And like our driver, Jonathan, the dude that drove us around through the jungles was a sponsored child wow. years ago. Carlos, who's like one of my good friends in the, in the DR, he, he was a sponsored child at one point. And so like – what so just to kind of talk about that long game like when it's all said and done you kind of use those words but like when it's like is what i was able to do here does it matter did it have any kind of positive impact is there any ripple effect in a positive way 
for what I was a part of. And I think that's what I long for. You know, it's like, I, I forget the exact quote. Uh, I just recently heard it and I wrote, wrote it down as quick as I could part of it, but I know I'm butchering it. It might even be a Bible verse. I don't know, but it says something to the effect of, are you planting, are you planting trees that you'll never ever get shade from? Mm. You'll never be able to enjoy their shade, you know, because you'd be gone by the time they become a shade tree, you know, but somebody will, you know, somebody will be able to enjoy that and will sit under that tree and go, man, I'm glad this tree's here. It's hot out. And so that's what I, that's what I want to be a part of. And I know it's bigger than me, but I think that's part of it too, is there's a certain point in life where you have to get past your selfness, you know, and just realize like, I'm just glad to be a part of it. You know, I'm not, it's not, it's not me, you know, it's just, so, yeah. I mean, to quote the great Pieball, hey, you're part of it. Part of it, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you're part of it. I do, I do, I think about that all the time. I think about the, I think about that uh, line, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's so. We did, we did it something, we did something for Food for the Hungry, actually, and it's basically, it was like a way for us to engage with the artist that we're on tour with. And so we did these little cards that go on the table and it just literally says you're part of it. So I plagiarized that from Piebald. I love that. <laughs> they are fantastic. No, but I think it's, um, what I think is so interesting, you know, yeah, yeah, you're part of it. And I love that. Um, I love that line. I think about that line uh, constantly and, and it goes back to, I, I, I used to do other projects, um, similar to podcasting or along the same lines that were fun, but I found when I was, and this was years ago, years ago, and I would find that when I would look back, I would go, I'm not sure that that added any value to the world. I'm not sure that the world is better off because I did that. In fact, I I wonder if the world's worse off because I feel worse after having done it. And, um, and so I decided, I made an intentional decision to not start or take on any projects that did not add value to the world and that I could tangibly point to and say, or point to some tangible results, I should say, uh, of how it has made the world better. And I've considered it a success when I get a note from someone who's listened to either this show or my other show and has said like, hey, I was going through a difficult time and I listened to this episode and it gave me the answers I needed. Or... I didn't know how to talk to my kids about X, Y, or Z. And just hearing a conversation about two people saying, I don't know the answers and I'm trying to figure it out. And this is, this is how I'm attempting it allowed me to start the dialogue with my kid. I mean, those are the things that I go, I can point and say, because I did this, I feel that the world, even however small a percentage is better off because of it. And I know I'm better off for it. And so I, I think about, you know, we want to leave the world a better place. So to your point, are you the individual who's listening? Are you planting shade trees or trees that you're never going to enjoy the shade from? Because it's one thing to take care of what's here, but it's another thing to build for a future you're never going to see. Right. And the thing is, is like, that isn't about, it can't be about you. You know, I mean, that's, that's the funny thing is like, you know, I love what you just said because you being vulnerable in those podcasts, you saying, Hey, I'm, I don't know how to do this thing. Gave other people the permission to be able to be like me too, you know? 
And so I think that's, that's huge, man. My wife actually right now, we are struggling with our child, uh, with our newborn. Well, not, she's not a newborn anymore. She's about seven months years old. Seven months years old. Seven months old. Seven months years old. Anytime you say an age, you always want to end it with years old, which yeah. is right when it's seven months. Period. Right. <laughs> um, that's like I'm sure someday. It's like, how far is it to school? Oh, it's like uh, what? Do, what do kids say? Like when they talk about, they get like time and distance and all those things confused. Anyway. All right, right. Just okay, <laughs> side note. Sorry. Right now, my wife and I are dealing with something with my, with my baby where she's not drinking as much milk as she was before, mm, you know, where sure. she's like going down in her ounces. She's barely getting through a bottle. And my, it's been hard, you know, it's like, what's wrong? What's wrong with her? She seems happy, but she's not eating. And so there's a, mom's group that my wife's a part of and she just mentioned it on there and she's had several moms separately reach out to her and say thank you for saying that because mm. i've been going through me and my husband have been going through the same thing with our child and so i think it's just you have to get over this ego and not, not that not that my wife not no. that there's anything to prove but like there's something that says oh i'm failing at this thing I don't want to tell anybody. I got to keep it secret. I got to hide it up because I don't want people to see who I really am. Right. And guess what? Like then you wither and die by yourself, you know, right. but if you're able to be open and tell the truth, then things change, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that's real important, man. Is just to be honest. Um, you know, when we, when we were in a band and I almost tell this really quick because I feel like it ties in really well with what we're, what we're saying um there was a there was a moment in time and you see this right now in christian music unfortunately not always some people are made to be a certain way but particularly right now there's a it's it's like there's a specific kind of music that sells really well that makes a lot of money and it happens to be worship music and i'm not i'm not against worship music i don't have anything against it i i some of it really moves me you know some of it doesn't move me at all but some of it does, you know, and, right. but so that's the thing that's selling. So if you're like, say you're a, say you're into produce and you know that apples sell really, really well, then you're going to try to sell apples. Right. If all the, all the apple trees are gone and you've picked every apple off and they're out of season, all you have is oranges or some other fruit you may grab some oranges. You're not going to sell them as well as you're going to sell apples, but, but you can sell some oranges. Right. Um, and I think what happens is and oranges are great fruits in their own, in their own right. Right. <laughs> They're good fruits. I love them. You know? So I think what happens is, is a record label will sign. They realize that bands are, that apples are selling or that this specific type of music is selling. And then they find a really creative artist. that's really good. They're, they're, they're good at music. They, they can play their instruments. Well, they're, they're, everything's in tune and they get them in the studio and start to record. And then they realize that they don't have an apple. They have an orange mm. and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is an orange. We're not going to sell as many oranges as we do apples. And so then they, somebody in, somebody in the, at the record label, maybe marketing or um, A&R go, you know what? I got an idea. We got some red spray, spray paint in the back that we used on the last record that we put out. Let's just spray yeah. all these oranges red. A lot of people, 
then people will see them as apples and we'll be able to sell more. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of young bands get through that and they feel like they become something that they're not. And so there's this like divide of what they are really and what they're supposed, what they feel like they're supposed to be. And really that just causes brokenness, man. And you yeah. see so much of that happen in where somebody gets down the, down the line of making music and it's not just Christian music, but it's just music in general. And they're like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't yeah. know why I'm doing what I'm doing because exactly. they've tried to keep up what they're supposed to be. And that doesn't have, that's not just in music that could be on Instagram, what you feel like your persona is that could be on Facebook. That could be in any aspect of life. Like, so let go of all the things that you think that people that make you important to people and just realize that you are important period. Exactly. That you are, a, that you can think <laughs> that you can have conversations. You can write music. You are part of the human race, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Like there is nothing in the universe that we know of that is more, that can be more beautiful. Now we can also be divisive and we can be ugly, yeah. but when we love each other, like, it's a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. So I think Absolutely. being a part of it, being a part of something bigger is so important and realizing that like, uh, one last thing I want to say about that. And I know I've kind of went on about 19 tangents, but <laughs> um, one of the reasons why I love food for the hungry is because our goal, we use, we, we, well, first off, off, we want to go to the hard places. Like we want to go to the places that, have somewhat been forgotten. Um, and I, I, I heard that phrase from the time I started and it wasn't until I went to Peru and I flew into Lima and from Lima, I took a plane to Ayacucho and from Ayacucho, I got in a van and drove about seven and a half to eight hours through the Andes mountains up to like 16,000 feet. At one point we could barely breathe <laughs> back down. Most beautiful thing I've ever done. One of the most beautiful places in the world. To it, and we finally ended up in a town called Juan Cavalica. No airport, no way. That's the only way in. And uh, that's where one of the kids I sponsor lives. And uh, I realized, yeah, we do go to the hard places. Um, but our goal is to go into those places and just to begin the dialogue with, the, with that community. You know, the places where, you know, before we ever start step foot into a community, we gather the leaders together and we talk about what, you know, their history, what they've been through. And man, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, these are places that have for generations have been in poverty, have right. struggled, have had, hadn't had, have struggled to find food whose kids have been malnutrition, mal, have had malnutrition issues who have had a lack of, lack of water. These are places that for generations, like not just like some, not just the kid's mom and their grandparents, but their grandparents, 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 grandparents. Right. Right. Um, very systemic. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. I think that's the right word. Anyway, uh, well, it, it's fast. Uh, it's generational. That's the word I was really yeah, looking it's, for. It's, yeah. yeah. It's been, it's been going on forever. Right. As far as we can remember. Yeah. And then, um, our goal is to go into that place and to say, no, it doesn't have to, like the way that this always has been, it doesn't have to be that way. Like you're this ground that this ground that your ancestors, this barren ground that your ancestors walked on, like 
food can pop up out of it. And this is how you do it. This is how you plan it. And to be begin to teach and tell and, and more, more than importantly, to instill hope. And yeah. to realize that poverty is not about a lack of money, but it's, it's all, that's part of it. But it's also, it's also mental and spiritual too. Like those are areas where you can feel hopeless and, or you, or you can't get past a certain thing in your mind, you know? And so the awesome thing is, is that in 10 years, within 10 years, our goal was to leave that community and it be sustainable. And so I've, oh, been I able love to that. Yeah. See, I've been able to see these communities in the last stages of development and to be able to know that we, we're going to be, we, we're going to walk away in six months and it's going to be okay. Not only is it be okay, but it's going to thrive. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Like I went in the Dominican Republic, I saw three girls. We're in a community that we've been in for nine and a half years. They were six months away from graduating. And like, I saw three girls, probably like 15, 16 year old girls who were sponsored children. Um, and they were in school uniforms. It was like eight 30 at night in school uniforms, school books. And I'm like, what are they doing in their, with, they have late night, they have night classes or what? Like what's going on? Like why? Are they, and the lady's like, no, Davey, those three young women are in the after school program. They choose to be in that food Foundry offers. Those three young women are in a, an accounting class in a year and a half to two years from now, those three young women will become accountants. Wow. And this is an area that didn't have water nine and a half years before didn't have any infrastructure. So helping build infrastructure and jobs and things like that. So we can walk away and guess what? This is where the tree, yeah. the shade tree comes in is that now in that this moment in time, things shift in this 10 year period, things shift. So the kid that I sponsored, their kid, their grandkid, their great, great grandkid, are going to have a different way of life and they're going to have they're going to have hope in a place that has been hopeless for generations and so okay. that's 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 why i love what we do um you know there's other orgs that do great work and it's mainly focused on relief work we do relief work too but it's mainly just keeping people alive and like giving them food and sustaining them but like to see a community like be transformed and to thrive it's like dude, there's nothing like it. It's unreal. So I absolutely love that because it does tie back into everything that we've been talking about with this episode, as far as making the world a better place and being able to see the change that you're immediately able to have on the world. And then I really, I love the idea of, I'm a huge fan of any type of help that the goal, the goal going in is to say, we don't want to be here or be doing this forever. We want to set you, the person, community, whatever, up for with the tools to succeed and foster an environment where you can thrive. And then let us know if you need any help, you know, kind of a thing. Um, you know, I, I've told a story. I had a neck injury uh, in college, and it was not bad enough for surgery, but not good enough to to not be in pain constantly. And so it was in that weird place. And I was told by multiple, multiple doctors, like, you're just gonna have to deal with it. Like, take some pain meds or not or whatever, just deal with it. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. I feel like there's got to be something better. 
went to this fantastic uh, chiropractor slash physical therapist. And I was skeptical of chiropractors because of what I had heard before. But he, he sat me down and said, look, my goal is not for you to come here forever. My goal is to set you up with the regimen to where you will be pain-free by a year, six months, whatever. And he coupled that with exercises and stretches. So you had a specific routine of you do this to loosen your body, you get the adjustment, you do this to lock in the adjustment, and then you come like a week or two later. And then after one year, I, I have still have zero pain in my neck. Like it went away entirely. And he was like, you're done. You're pain-free. Great. Have a nice life. Let me know if you need anything. And, and I feel like that shows that your intention is to make the person, make the community, make whatever better and be able to thrive as opposed to patchwork, you know, surface help, which is fine in its own way. But I think the where you start to see change is at those roots and, and yeah. that's where it Dude, starts to grow. That is so true. And the thing is, is everybody, there's everybody listening to this can relate to that. And they've heard people say, when it comes to medicine and physical mm -hmm. body, don't treat, you know, uh, we treat the symptom, or what is it? You treat the Don't symptom, not the problem. Yeah, yeah. People treat the symptoms, not the problem. Correct. And so I want to take that as next step and to say that doesn't just exist in your physical body, but it also can exist in your spiritual body and your mental body, like right. the way your thoughts work, you know, to treat that, you know? I mean, I feel like we are... I don't know why it's, I don't know why everything on this podcast, I'm thinking of a tree analogy, but like, I feel like, honestly, it's like, we are these trees and we look at our, all this fruit and maybe it's not what we really are proud of. And maybe it's some of it's rotting and falling off. And so we spend all our time up in the branches, digging off this fruit, like digging a hole, burying it. So nobody else will see it and pretending right. it's not, we're not this thing that, that that's coming out of our, uh, branches, you know, where we don't like the fruit that whether it's, you know, whatever it is, the things that we hate about ourselves, we're, we're right. spending all our time up at the top trying to hide it and get rid of it. And it, that is like the most empty way to do it. Like, honestly, what we need to do is stop thinking about all the fruit and picking it off, but we need to start thinking about the roots. Like you said, right. need, like, are we dug into a community are you dug into some kind of spiritual depth? Uh, some kind of spiritual depth, you know, and I, 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 I go deep on that part of it. You know, I mean, yeah, we've said, you know, you know, every, we all know people that say, you know, I was depressed and I started working out and I feel better and that's great. That's great. And I commend that. And I think that's amazing, but I feel like there's other areas too that we, that we neglect is human. And a lot of people, I mean, our thing is, as humans, is we always, everything always kind of revolves around our own ego and who we are, you know, who we think we are, who we want to be perceived as. And when you let go of that ego, when you let go of that, it like is so freeing. When you come to a logical realization that in the vastness of the cosmos, there is a speck called the Milky Way. And in the vastness of that galaxy, there is a, another speck that we call the sun. It's even smaller. And on that, uh, circling around that, that little tiny speck called the sun, 
there's a little place called Earth. And on that little place called Earth, there are seven, what, seven to eight million, is it billion people? Seven yeah. to eight billion people that currently exist that will only exist for about 70 to 100 years, each of them. And we are one of them. In every, in every song, every poem, everything that we know about anything has originated from this little speck in the cosmos called Earth. So that can be super depressing to people, but I, I hope it's not. I hope it's not depressing at all. I hope it's just a realization that maybe we don't know everything. And it, maybe it's okay that we don't know everything. And maybe just possibly there is somebody who does know more than we do, you know, and maybe just possibly this thing called love isn't here for on accident. The, the good things, the things that we can focus on in this time specifically, that is so crazy where people are spewing hate towards one another. I literally met a guy in uh, Harbor Freight <laughs> the other day I was picking, I don't know, I was getting something to work on my house and like, he's getting ammo cans like getting ready for war. Like, I'm like, dude, like maybe if, if as humans, we were less worried about what was going to be taken from us and more worried about what we could give, maybe everything would be different, you know? And so these are the things that I feel like the spiritual things that I talk of, you know, I speak of is like, these are the, these are the ideas that are these great deep truths that are like, could, could literally change our world. I mean, to me, you hear every politician talk about change, right? And I have never, ever seen anything good out of somebody saying something bad to somebody else and then them saying something bad back and then them saying something bad back. I've never seen that actually culminate into like kumbaya <laughs> or somebody, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and so all that to say darkness met with darkness only brings more darkness. The only that our greatest and strongest weapon that we have is to love our neighbor yeah. is to stop. And no matter whether they deserve it or not to say, I love you. Right. You matter. You're important. Yeah. You're a human, you know? Yep. So Absolutely. sorry. That was a, that was a big long rant. No, you're good. You're good. Well, we are, um, as we're wrapping this up, I got two quick, quick fire questions. I know we're, we're a little past time, but first, uh, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? I mean, I'm like everybody else. I have a, an Instagram. I don't really update it a whole bunch and a Facebook, um, which I, I speak to my older friends on that. Um, no, uh, that was a joke. It fell real, real flat. You know, people on Facebook. I don't have a TikTok, but, uh, yeah, I think that's the best way. Um, and maybe at a concert or someplace in the close place around I'm, I'm around. So. Very cool. And then the last question I've got real quick, is there, if someone is listening and they want to break into the music industry, what is a piece of advice or perhaps a mantra that you have for yourself that we haven't covered that you would like to give them just something real quick? I would say it takes hard work, you know, first I would say, don't do it. And then second, <laughs> if it's just in your soul, like work your tail off nobody's going to care as much about your music and your message and who you are in your art. Nobody's going to care about it as much as you do. And so if you can't 
believe in it and care about it, then what, how could you expect anybody else to, I don't know if that's good advice. There's so many things I could say, but I think that's it is like Eddie DeGarmo, the guy who signed me said to me, just do it. He's, you know, and so I think that's, that's true. You just have to kind of go out and do it and figure it out. Um, and hope, hope that lightning strikes and you have an opportunity to, to make it, to do something, you know, last thing. And that's, um, keep your eyes out. My, my boys in bleach and I have been chatting about some things. So, okay. Yeah. So we may, I mean, we know we're not anything modern, but we're, awful stoked to do what we do all right well that you heard it here so keep your eyes and ears peeled and get ready you never know what's around the corner well davy thank you so much again this has been an absolute delight i really appreciate it yeah man thank you so much dude it's been it's been good if you ever get to nashville area or anywhere around here um look me up for sure you got my number will do yep absolutely well listeners you've been listening to after the encore i'm your host joe shaw and here to play us out one more time is mr davy basinger and bleach
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.